All right, so if you ha- have your Bible, open and find the Old Testament book of Joshua. Again, if you're first time here, this is also part of the normal. On Sunday mornings, we typically study through straight through books of the Bible. And in the summer, it's usually the Old Testament. So it's Joshua this time. Uh, and we're finishing, when you find Joshua, find chapter 23. So it tells you that uh, we're almost done with this study. And in this fall and spring, it's usually the New Testament. will be true this year. We're going to be in the book of Revelation uh, in fall and spring. So I'm excited about that. hope you are. And um, anyway, so, and Wednesday nights, College Bible Study on Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights is more topical in nature. All right, so still in the scripture, it's just more topical. Joshua 23, we're just one chapter away from uh, completing this study through Joshua. I hope it's been as, I've said this before, those of you who've been here, I hope it's been as beneficial to you as it has been to me. I love, I love the Old Testament. I don't, I mean, I, we learn so much about the fundamentals of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the pages of the Old Testament. I mean, about the, the character of God, the, the sinfulness of man, the, the promise of a coming redeemer. I mean, it's, it's, it's all laid out before, before Matthew even gets here. And uh, I've said it many times. I'll say in addition to that, the, the Old Testament is fully two-thirds of our whole Bible. Two-thirds. And so we neglect two-thirds of all that God has said to us if we neglect the Old Testament, right? And I say all that to say this, that for that reason, I hope Joshua has been beneficial to you, just this study of Joshua, but I also hope that you come away from it wanting to know and understand the Old Testament more deeply for yourself beyond just Joshua. And even when we turn to the New Testament in a couple of weeks, I hope you won't uh, leave the Old Testament. Now, I'll say this. If you want to understand Revelation, you better know your Old Testament. So, um, again, we're in Joshua 23 today. And with it, we're in the middle of the final section of the book. If you've been here, you know this. You could say it in your sleep. The first section, they were preparing to enter into the promised land. The second section, they were actually fighting the battles to win the promised land. Third section, they were dividing up the land among the different tribes of Israel. Now we're in this final section where it's, the focus is now, okay, you're in the land. How now should you live? Okay? And uh, each of the chapters of this final section, 22, 23, 24, they each begin with an address from Joshua to the people. Um, and last week, it was specific, in chapter 22, it was specifically to two and a half of the tribes. So uh, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Uh, you're, you might recall that it's those two and a half tribes who even back in the days of Moses uh, did not want to settle in the promised land, but just on the, the, the east side of the river. And they had made a deal with Moses, we will help the other tribes fight the battles, we will help them move in, but when... When the battles are over, we're going to move with your blessing, with the Lord's blessing, we're going to move back to the other side of the river and, and, uh, and settle there. And in chapter 22, Joshua summoned those two and a half tribes to himself to commend them for help, keeping their word, commend them for um, helping the other tribes fight the battles, etc., etc. But now he says, before you go back to the other side of the river and live there, I need to charge you, this is how you should live before the Lord. Um, 
live strictly according to the law of Moses and strict obedience. And, um, yeah, we don't have to rehearse all that happened there. It's an entertaining chapter for sure. Uh, you, remember, you might remember those two and a half tribes built a, a huge altar, just like the one at the tabernacle in their land. And they did it as a remembrance um, to follow the Lord and to be a witness to future generations that even though they were on this side of the river, we're part of the people of God. It initially was just a wee bit misunderstood by the other tribes, and it almost went down. But they, uh, they sent, remember they sent Phineas the priest and, the, and other guys, and and they hugged it out, and it's all good. But um, Anyway, today, chapter 23, we have another address from Joshua to the people. And this time we're going to see it's not just a particular subset of the people, but to all the people. And uh, verse, verse 1 tells us that it was a long time after that misunderstanding of chapter 22 that this address took place. And the reason he called this meeting, as we'll see, is primarily because he's getting old. And he doesn't know how much time he has left, and there are things that he wants to impress upon them strongly. So it's this address that we're going to consider this morning. It's not a long chapter at all. It's just 16 verses in our Bible. So, but it's, it's very clear and straight to the points, both gracious and sobering, encouraging and warning. That's what you're going to get in this. So... Uh, before we dive into it and think carefully about it, let's read it together. Remember the Apostle, the Lord through the Apostle Paul told us not to neglect the public reading of Scripture. So we try to honor that as much as we can. So if you found Joshua 23, follow along with me as I begin in verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea to the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you, and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the, Lord your, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back, and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, 
that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. Let's pray. Lord, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And on that basis, Lord, um, we ask that you would give us uh, eyes to see your truth in this passage. Would you give us minds to understand it clearly? Would you give us hearts to embrace the truth that you teach us here? And would you give us wills to obey wholeheartedly whatever it is that you lead us to do in its words. Give me the help that I need to teach faithfully. And please give us all ears to hear. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I said, this is not a very long address. It may be just a, a, a Holy Spirit-inspired summary of what all that Joshua said. I do think there's some important things to take away from it. So if you're, if you're taking notes, um, here's what I'd like us to note. Just two things this morning. Um, first, I want to make clear, I want to note how Joshua makes clear to them and to us the work of perseverance. The work of perseverance. This whole address in chapter 23 is an exhortation on that issue. And we should note carefully what the Holy Spirit says through Joshua here. And we'll be careful to notice also that uh, in, a, in addition to reminding them constantly of their responsibility to obey and, and, and to keep very strictly the law of Moses, he reminds them just as often of what the Lord has already done uh, and, and what he has promised to continue to do. So embedded in this exhortation for them to persevere in faithfulness is, is his assurance to them that they, have, they serve a promise-keeping God who is providentially kind to them. Secondly, though, uh, here's the thing, second thing I want to note is the superiority of the new covenant. The superiority of the new covenant, which may sound strange just looking at this chapter. Joshua 23 says nothing about the new covenant. Um, but if you, if you step back from Joshua 23 and view this chapter and what is said here from the vantage point of the whole Bible, right, uh, we can see this more clearly, the superiority of the new covenant. And we need to see it. So that being our aim in this chapter, let's dive in and take a closer look at each of these, beginning with the first focus of the chapter, the main focus of the chapter, which is the work of perseverance. So the chapter begins, as I pointed out earlier, saying in verse 1 that this took place a long time afterward without really uh, specifying exactly how long it was after what took place in chapter 22. One thing that might be helpful in, in thinking about the, 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 the work of perseverance here is really um, seen in 
what is not said, right, as, as much as what is said. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, in this case, being told that it's a long time afterward, and, and really, that's all the setup we're given, right? Um, it doesn't seem like there are any particular issues going on when he gives them this address. It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily being wayward in any kind of way. It doesn't seem like they're walking in some sort of uh, really obvious disobedience. Uh, he's not calling them down for anything. It, it appears that he's just delivering this address to them Again, not, not during, just in a totally peaceful time when they seem to be walking in a good way. And we can presume that, although not perfectly, by any stretch, that we've already seen that. They did, there were still some Canaanites living in pockets of the land. I mean, they, it's not like they were walking in perfect obedience. But they were compared, by, compared to other times in their history, both before in the wilderness and afterwards in the exile, um, they were walking in a good way. I will say, I said in what is not said. He does sort of hint at the fact that they were walking in a good, in a good way. Like in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, when he says, You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So again, he's, he's actually acknowledging there. You're doing all right. You're doing well. So in the, in the same breath in this chapter that he exhorts them to persevere in the faith, he commends them for their faithfulness to this point. That's kind of the, that's kind of the reality that's embedded in the very definition of perseverance, right? Is you're in this good way, keep going in that way, right? Um, so, so first of all, it's, it's worth noting also to me, in addition to that, that if you, if you take notice of what he actually says here, he's not telling them anything new. He doesn't say one new thing to them here. He's not telling them anything that, that presumably they did not know already. He is, if you want to use a New Testament example of what he's doing here, to use Peter's words later in the New Testament, he is stirring them up by way of reminder. Right? So, and really that whole passage from Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 is sort of instructive of what's going on here. Uh, in 2 Peter 1, if you remember that chapter, Peter begins that chapter by um, briefly outlining the character and the, and the conduct expected of a follower of Christ. He lists very different qualities that should be present in the believer. And then he says this, and they're all very basic. And he says this in, in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13. He says... At the tail end of that, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established. They weren't even new to these things. They were established in these things, established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. That seems to be exactly what's going on in Joshua 23. In one sense, he's not telling them, anything much different than what he told them in chapter 1, right? And that's kind of the point. Perseverance, as I said earlier, is perseverance in what we already know and what we already believe. It's not necessarily always just coming to deeper and deeper and deeper understandings of the faith. It's not perseverance doesn't mean that every quiet time you have 
on, in the morning is an aha, I've never thought about that before kind of moment. Right? Those, those sometimes are few and far between. Most mornings when you open the Word, it is simply being reminded again by the Holy Spirit of what you already know. Keep walking in that way. And, uh, and, and, and being uh, stirred up by way of reminder in that way. And that leads to another obvious aspect of the work of perseverance here. If you're just looking at what we, what we read in chapter 23. So perseverance means it's, it's, we, we keep going even when, we, when things are good. Uh, perseverance means it's persevering in what we already know, not just always learning something new, but just persevering in what we already know. But if you say, what can we learn about perseverance through this chapter? It's, it's, a, it's this as well. That uh, in addition to those things we've already seen, we also need to have someone or someones to stir us up. And that's just sort of the obvious sitting here in chapter 23. We need someone or someones to stir us up. I would say someone and someones to stir us up. Joshua understood that it was his role until he died to shepherd this people. And to, and to exhort them to stay on the path of faithfulness and holiness. The same was true with Moses before him, and the same is no less true for us to this day. We need, if we're talking about the work of perseverance in the faith, we need people around us who can see us, who can know us, who can talk to us faith, face to face, and know us well enough that when they do see us and talk to us face to face, we can get real with each other, right? Uh, and, and hence the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of the church. Uh, and, and especially also not just the purpose of the church, meaning those that you're sitting around the table with, those that you be in a missional community group with, uh, gathering here on Sunday, gathering here on Wednesday, and the encouragement and the exhortation you get from your brothers and sisters in Christ. But this also reminds us uh, uh, in, in, in the necessity of the church of the office of pastor. Right? You need it. You need pastors and overseers speaking into your life. Paul told Timothy, who was at that time pastor of First Baptist Ephesus, said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you, Timothy, pastor, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience in teaching. Why did Paul tell Timothy that? Because he knew the people in Ephesus needed that and needed it from someone like Timothy, a pastor and an overseer. Why does he say do that with complete patience? He says reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. Why with complete patience? Because we are stubbornly sinful people. And the work of perseverance is a never-ending process until the day we die. Joshua told them all of these things years earlier, in chapter 1 even. And here he is now, an old man, nearing the end of his life, and he could be saying, 
I kind of hope that they carry on. I know, but I just, I know I told them this. I, they, they know this. They know this. I told them years ago. You know, before we ever went into the land, I told them this. They know it, so I'm just going to pray for them. I'm not, I'm not saying don't pray for them. But Joshua feels compulsion just as strongly as he ever did in his life, at the end of his life, to remind them of the things that they have already been told a thousand times and to exhort them to persevere in it. So you and I, what do we take away? You and I need not only brothers and sisters in Christ to, to walk with us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to pray for us, to hold us accountable, but also membership in a local church where God has ordained and the Holy Spirit has put in place pastors and overseers over us who have been gifted and called to preach and to rebuke and exhort over the people, right? And the Holy Spirit takes not only the encouragement of our friends, but the preached word over us. The Holy Spirit uses that to sanctify us and move us to persevere. This is not just a made-up enterprise. This is a God-ordained enterprise that we have going on here. Jeremiah six sixteen. thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So at the outset, thinking about the big picture of Joshua 23, as we think about the, the work of perseverance, we've seen that it is a constant need in our lives even when times seem good. We've seen that we need to have people in our lives continually, friends around us, pastors and overseers over us, who tell us what we already know and, and exhort us to, to, to walk faithfully in that. But in addition to those things, we can't miss the fact that in Joshua 23, if you, if you think carefully about what Joshua says, that the work of perseverance in our lives is work. The work of perseverance is work on our part. Just remember and recall how much of what Joshua, just think about the tenor of what Joshua says to them here. First of all, focus your attention, let's zoom in on like verses 6 through 8. That's, this, verses 6 through 8 to me seem to be like a real focal point in this address. Um, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, be, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with those nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Look at the commands in those verses. On the front end of that, in verse 6, be very strong to keep and to do. On the back end of that passage, verse 8, you shall cling to the Lord your God. Keep, do, cling. Those are, those are things that, that, that required effort on their part, and they still require effort on our part. Nobody accidentally slips into perseverance. 
right? At one very basic level, when, I, when we say we believe in the sovereignty of God, and when we believe that, that God is, is, is He who began a good work uh, in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion, we don't mean that what we take away from that is let go and let God. Right? We don't, it's not, it's, well, God said it, it's just going to happen to me. That's not how it works. There are, there are, at one very basic level, we will not pick up our cross daily and follow Christ unless we pick up our cross daily and follow Christ. Right? Uh, they, they wouldn't keep the law of Moses, and we won't keep the commands of Christ unless we work to keep them. Nobody else can cling to the Lord for us. That's an ongoing work as we are routinely exhorted by our brothers and sisters around us, by our pastors and overseers over us, the Holy Spirit working in us through all of those means that when we wake up each day, we consciously, consciously work to keep and do and cling. That's what we do. And notice how much, of, how much that that entails even for them in these verses, how, how careful the work is. In verse 6, to keep and to do what? All that is written in the book of the law of Moses. How many commandments are in the law of Moses? 613. 613. Keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses requires that they put forth the effort to know all that is written. And it's a lot of stuff written. You can't keep what you don't know. You can't do what you don't know. You can't cling to whom you don't know. Sure, he makes known to us himself in, in the sun, moon, and the stars, and in my conscience that convicts me when I lie or when I steal or when I break any of the commandments of God. But that's general revelation. He has specifically told me who he is in the pages of Scripture. So verse 6 tells us, know this word, and through this word, know your God. And in verse 7, it requires that they keep a close eye not just on the Word, but on the affections of their own hearts and the temptations of the world around them. How easy, Joshua thinks so at least, how easy it would be for them to follow after the gods or the nations around them, or for that matter, the, the, the remnants of the Canaanites still in their midst. To swear by them, he says, or serve them, or bow down to them. This was a long time ago, and it feels like it's a really ancient word to us. But don't think that this exhortation that Joshua gave to the people of Israel pertains to us only insofar as we literally bow down to some idol in our lives. The Apostle Paul, writing as he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit, said in Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone or anything as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? In other words, we, even as followers of Christ, we 
bow down to our idols in our hearts whenever we obey their desires over the expressed desire of God and Christ written down for us in Scripture. We know the right thing to do, and we don't do it. We're doing exactly what Joshua cautioned the people of Israel against. So the work of perseverance entails for us not only knowing the Word, but knowing the world. Knowing uh, the world, including our wayward hearts in it. We want to bring the latter, our hearts, into conformity with the former, the Word. But before we move on to the, the next point, I want to make note of one more thing here about the work of perseverance. We've seen that the work is constant, even when times seem good. We've seen that it requires other people around us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's friends like that or Joshua to the people or pastors and overseers in the church over us. We've seen that perseverance requires constant effort on our part. To know the Word of God and the world around us and the sinfulness of our own hearts and the temptations they present to us. But finally, take note that the, the, the work of perseverance requires, yes, faith in the sovereign working of God on our behalf. That is a constant direction in which Joshua points their attention. It would be... It would be an utterly... It would be utterly hopeless the work of perseverance. It would be utterly hopeless if it were simply doing our best to keep the commands of, of a God who kept himself hidden from us entirely. Never, and we never know either his pleasure or his displeasure with us. That, to me, that sounds like the God of, of Islam, Right? I know what I know what he has said, but I I don't I don't know if I'm I don't know where I stand. Joshua says this is not our God. In fact, early in the chapter, before he ever exhorts him to do them to do a thing, he reminds them of what they have already seen the Lord do on their behalf. For he tells them, for example, in verse four, how that they have seen. All of them have seen with their own eyes what the Lord has done for them, that he fought for them. He, did, he said that right before he told them to do something. And then in the same way, as soon as he finishes his exhortation of verses 6 through 8, he reminds them in verse 9, again, that the Lord has fought for you and has driven out these mighty nations. Why keep reminding them of what the Lord has done in the past? to remind them that the Lord doesn't change. John Piper has a, a great book that he wrote when I was in college, so that was a long time ago. It's called uh, Future Grace, uh, the, the, the Purifying Power of Living by Faith in Future Grace. And his whole point is this basic point, that the, the past faithfulness of God is intended in our lives to spur us on to walking by faith, that there will be future grace for me if there was past grace for me. God doesn't change. Right, And it's on the basis of that reminder in verses, verse 4, verse 9, that he encourages them again in verse 10 that it, it is the Lord who fights for you. That's present tense. He fights. And notice that 
it is that knowledge the, that the Lord presently fights for you, that, that it's that that spurs on the exhortation of verse 11. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Going back to the example I just gave earlier, it is impossible to love um, a hidden God. Like, who leaves us in the dark as to our standing before Him or His posture toward us. That produces either fear without love or apathy and rebellion. But to be given these commands and these exhortations from the one who so evidently fought for us and fights for us, our undeserved good, and who still to this day will do it. It opens wide then the door to my heart and mind to love this God, to love this one whom I must obey. And the obedience is, no, it opens the door that this obedience that I give to him is no longer drudgery but delight. There are simply things that you cannot miss if you read this chapter carefully. One is the expectation and the obligation for the people to obey all that the Lord has said and to persevere in that. And the other one is that, remember how the Lord, well, all that the Lord has done and would do for you. And the, and the fact, notice too, that this writing alongside that is not just remember all that the Lord has done and will do, is doing for you, but... He reminds them also that all this that the Lord has done didn't happen out of the blue. Didn't happen out of the blue, unexpectedly, but in fulfillment of gracious promises that He freely made generations ago. Look again at verse 10. It is the Lord your God who fights for you, comma, just as He promised. All the way back in the days of Abraham. And then... You, you can't miss what he says to them in verse 14. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know, you know, in your hearts and souls, all of you, you know that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. He promised to bring them into, the, into a land of their own and to drive out their enemies before them, and he had done all that he said he would do. Much of it apart from their direct involvement. Walls of Jericho, example one. In other words, the overall tone of this address from Joshua is your, your presence, your very presence in, in the land of is evidence that the Lord has done his part. The Lord has kept his word. You're in the land. The question now is going to be, will the people do their part to keep his word and stay in the land under his blessing? And it's in that very question, and it's in that very underlying assumption of this address that we need to recognize quickly before we close the superiority of the new covenant. I said earlier that this is a truth that we can glean from this chapter and this address from Joshua, not merely by looking at it in isolation, but by looking at it against the backdrop of the rest of the Bible, the rest of Scripture, and from the knowledge that we have here from the finished work of Christ. 
I guess in effort to be as clear as possible, knowing we have some people here who are here for the first time, and I don't want to assume that everybody knows exactly the same thing. The whole Bible, this is not just a loose collection of different books that sort of have something to do with each other, or worse, don't have anything to do with each other. But it was written by roughly 40 different men over a period of 1,500 years different backgrounds, yet it tells one story because behind those men is one author, the Holy Spirit. And the whole storyline of, of this Bible is strung together and held together by covenants. Um, that the Lord, a, a series of covenants that the Lord made with his people. So it started in, at, with Adam in the garden, a covenant which he broke and it plunged him and all that would come after him into sin in separation from God. It was followed by then a, a series of later covenants, uh, each with their own purpose to, to point to a Savior coming and to point to one great and final covenant coming that that Savior would bring about. And so this, this series of covenants worked toward that end. So after, after Adam, it was this covenant that God made with Noah. And, 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 that, and that meant that after the flood in this covenant, the Lord at basic promised that, hey, I will not destroy the world by flood again. I will keep the world going so that a Savior can come. Covenant with Abraham, among other things, is, is, is that um, I'm going to bring just this little slice of it, is I will bring you into a promised land. I will, I will create in you a, a people for my name's sake and bring you to, into a promised land picturing a future greater people into a greater promised land. The covenant, after the Abraham, you have the covenant of law through Moses to demonstrate the righteousness that would be required to enjoy that salvation of God. Then you had after that a covenant with David that was to give us a clearer picture of who this Savior would be when he came. Culminating and all pointing forward to this great and final covenant called the new covenant that Christ the Savior would bring about, which Jesus came to accomplish. These covenants that I just mentioned, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, New, they're like huge chapter divisions in your Bible. Like if you just took all the verse numbers and all the chapter numbers out, these covenants are like the big fat chapter numbers in your Bible. Uh, and, 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 and to understand Scripture correctly, wherever it is that you open up to, you need to understand what chapter you're in, like what, whatever passage you're reading. So, for example, we're in Joshua 23. And in the book of, of Joshua, yes, they were still sort of under the covenant with Abraham, but more immediately, they were under the covenant of law through Moses. And you saw that in what he said. Be careful to keep and to do all that is written in the law of Moses. That's the covenant they're under. We, reading it in 2021, are, and we're in Christ, we're reading this from the vantage point of the new covenant in Him. And so if we're ever going to understand an Old Testament passage fully as it pertains to us in Christ now, we have to understand the covenants involved on each end of the deal. Right? And how those covenants relate to each other. And so in this case, it's how does, 
How does what we see in Joshua's address to the Israelites, how does it relate to us in Christ under the new covenant in Christ? And it's in thinking through that question we see the superiority of the new covenant. We will note this very quickly. We do begin to see the signs of the superiority of the new covenant in Joshua 23. Though it's in an aspect of this chapter that we haven't talked about yet. And that is the clear and strong warnings in it. Warnings. This is the majority of the latter half of the address. Specifically verses 12 and 13 and in verses 15 and 16 especially. In those passages, Joshua lays out for them the consequences that they would face if they did not do and keep all that was in the law of Moses and fiercely shun every idol. And you didn't cling to the Lord. Or if you weren't careful to love him, what's going to happen? Joshua basically tells them, if, if, if that's the direction you go, then the faithfulness of God to his word is going to, going to become a double-edged sword to you. Uh, because his word to Moses was a conditional word. Blessing for obedience, cursing for disobedience. And he tells them that the simple, and so he says it three times, but just look at this, this, this um, distillation of the, of the warning, like at the, in the middle of verse 15, that if you don't, walk in, 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 in obedience, then the Lord is going to destroy you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. They would lose their inheritance. They would be under his curse. What do we, that was under the law of Moses, what do we, as followers of Christ in the new covenant, how do we, what do we do with this? How do we, as, how do we take that and as people say, as, how, do we, how do I apply that to my life? We realize, that the, we realize how this Old Covenant relates to the New Covenant. And we realize that, as we've noted before, this promised land was never, ever in the providence and plan and purpose of God. This, this promised land was never an end goal. It was only ever designed to be, in the providence of God, a signpost. A signpost for a certain period of time pointing to a greater reality coming. Pointing to a real and eternal salvation, an eternal rest. I'm just a faint picture. If it could talk, that's what it's saying. The fact that the signpost promised land in Joshua came with all of these stipulations of how they could get kicked out of it, for how you could lose it because of your disobedience, that is meant to teach us something about the eternal salvation. And that, that is to teach us that this eternal salvation coming uh, that God would provide would nev- it will never be attainable to us if it's dependent on the perfection of my obedience. I can't, I can't merit that any more than they could merit the signpost version. The sad history of Israel is meant to cause us to desire a greater hope and to point us to a greater hope. As we've seen before in this study, Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us that Jesus is the real promised land. Jesus is the promised land. And that, that, that this temporary signpost in Joshua was always pointing forward to it. This, the salvation of Jesus is superior to the prom, signpost promised land of Joshua. Why? Because the, the promised land of Jesus is granted to us freely on the basis of His perfect righteousness. 
His perfect obedience through repentance and faith. And it also comes, and this will be the last word, it comes with this promise from Jesus himself, better than what they were told in Joshua 23, John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would hide this word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. I pray that you would help us to walk and do the work every day of perseverance. Um, never slack up. Never, and we, and we, we, we also see and reminded, Lord, of another aspect of the, 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 the betterness of the new covenant that what Paul told Timothy in Philippians 2, that as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling day by day, we have this promise lurking underneath us that we're doing that because for it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we know, Lord, that the harder we work in perseverance is all the more evidence that you are already working in us. Oh, Lord, thank you for these, these promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.